And uh, we're glad to be here, and we're going to continue in the book of, of Revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ. Okay, so turn with me. Uh, well, put your finger, actually, in uh, Revelation chapter 6, because I'm going to give you some foundational scriptures, and we're going to flip around here at the beginning, okay, so that uh, you understand uh, some of the background and some other places in the Bible that uh, comment on what we're about ready to talk about. In the first place we're going to look, uh, I'm going to read these three scriptures, we'll talk about them a little bit, and then we'll pray, is uh, in Daniel chapter 9. In Daniel chapter 9, I'm not sure you can understand uh, what we're about ready to talk about unless you have at least a uh, little bit of a familiarity with uh, the book of Daniel in this case. Uh, Daniel chapter 9 uh, talks about the 70th week, and so it's called the 70th week of Daniel. So we're going to read a little bit from uh, Daniel, we're going to read a little bit from Matthew, and we're going to read a little bit uh, from Thessalonians, and then we're going to head into the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation, okay? So here we go. Uh, we're, we're starting here um, in verse 24 of Daniel 9, the word of the Lord. It says this, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Verse 25, know therefore and understand. See that? Boy, that's pretty uh, much of a command here. Make sure you understand what we're about ready to read. That from the going forth of the command to, restored, to restore and build Jerusalem. You find that in the second chapter of Nehemiah. Jerusalem was wrecked and it's... Um, a command has gone out to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. In other words, 69 weeks. And that word week means a, is a one-time or a unit of measurement of a seven-year period. It's like saying a decade. But in this case, a week is seven years. And so we're talking about 490 years. The street shall be built again and the wall and even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, that's after the seven weeks have transpired and the 62 weeks have transpired. In other words, after 69 weeks have transpired, 483 years, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And you know this. Uh, there's an author who wrote The Coming Prince who's done the calculations on this uh, from the date uh, that the decree was uh, sent out to rebuild Jerusalem in Nehemiah chapter 2 until Palm Sunday is exactly 483 years to the day. So after the 62 weeks, so after the 7 and 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. But why would he be cut off? Not for himself. He's cut off for the people, uh, for us. And then here's what I want you to know for tonight. And the people of the prince who is to come, there is a prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. There's a covenant. This is a covenant. It's a uh, 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 many other places in the Bible. We're not going to take the time tonight to go to all the different places, but uh, this Scripture is talking about the 70th week of Daniel. Now listen, folks. I, uh, if you have a watch on, point to your watch. <laughs> God's timepiece is the uh, nation of Israel. God keeps time, so to speak, since he lives outside time and space, but he keeps time according to the nation of Israel. And we're talking here about this city and this sanctuary, and he, this coming prince, verse 27, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. How many years is that? 
Seven. One week is seven years in this context. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, which means that a temple must be rebuilt. If you went to Jerusalem today, you won't find the temple on the Temple Mount. It's not there. It's gone. It's been wrecked. But this assumes that the temple is there and that this coming prince who makes a covenant, and many people believe it's a covenant to actually restore or rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount where Muslim shrine and a Muslim uh, mosque reside now. That there'll be some sort of an agreement, many people believe, that solves this tension there in the Middle East as well as it can be solved and that a covenant will happen, and that a temple will be rebuilt. But in the middle of the week, that's three and a half years, even I can do that math, this coming prince will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. In other words, he won't be who they thought he was, was, or he, he, he advertised himself to be. Now look, turn with me, would you, to Matthew 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse that Jesus gives on the Mount of Olives, of course. Look in verse 3, chapter 24 of Matthew. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they asked him specific questions. Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? They asked three questions there. Did you see that? He's going to answer three questions. They're different questions. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end isn't yet, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation... What is that? Spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. It's that place where we read in Daniel 9.26, in the middle of the week, he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. I'm now quoting from Daniel 9.26. And on the wing of the abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Well, verse 16 of Matthew 24, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray uh, that your flight may not be in winter on Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as, such as not been seen since or not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless these days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And you could read the rest. Now, do me a favor. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to have these scriptures as our backdrop, our backdrop, studying now, Oh, sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Sorry about that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. Here, how about this? Do you not remember, verse 5 says, that when I was still with you, I told you these things. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work only. 
He who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then, here it comes, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of the Satan, or working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved." And I want you to keep reading here for a second. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So pray with me, would you please? Lord, thank you uh, for what we're about ready to study, Lord. Uh, Lord, instead of being fearful and scared, of what we're studying, Lord, may it be a blessing to our hearts to understand you in a deeper way, your nature, your attributes, who you are, Lord, and what you're about ready to accomplish uh, here as you unfold the program for the end of uh, times. Lord, may we be ones who stand on the, um, uh, the top of the or hilltops, the top of uh, buildings, or in the public discourse, and tell people about your mercy and grace and salvation. And I pray for each one of the people in here who, who are doing that and are participating in that, Lord, that you'd prepare the hearts of the people who they are sharing with and that many would come to know you in a real and saving way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, do me a favor and turn back with me to uh, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. Hopefully you'll see uh, why I took you to those different places to show you uh, those different scriptures as we go along here. But here's what we've been doing over the last several weeks. We've been following the divine outline of the book of Revelation. The divine outline. Did you know it? It's there. It's in chapter uh, 1, verse 19. Uh, John is told by Jesus to write the things which you have seen. He did that in chapter 1. He wrote about the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. And then he said, uh, write the things which you've seen, but then, and the things which are. John did that as well, and he wrote uh, what Jesus told him to write about the churches of the time, or the churches that God spelled out, those seven churches Uh, They were on that postal, that Roman postal route. They weren't the most famous churches of the time, or at least some of the most famous churches of the time were left out. But see, God knew that they needed a word from Him. God also knew that these were the ones with the characteristics that we needed to know about as we read the Bible here all these uh, thousand years later. Uh, It speaks a word uh, not only to the churches at the time, it speaks to churches of all ages about how to act and what to concentrate on and where to be and where to focus and what should be our, uh, uh, our goals and our aspirations as a church, right? So it speaks to us. It speaks to us personally in our personal life of what we are to do and be as it relates to Christ Jesus. But it also spoke of the different eras or histories or periods of time or the church history uh, from the apostolic age until the current age. And we went through that at length. And then we were astounded, at least I was, I don't know if you were, but I certainly was, when we saw the last two weeks that we've been here, chapter 4, chapter 5 of the book of Revelation that shows us a picture of what we'll be doing in heaven during that 70th week of Daniel. In other words, uh, this is a picture of the church in heaven after it's been raptured. Why do I say that? Well, I say it for a number of different reasons, but here's one of the reasons. Remember the divine outline? It's the third thing it told us to do was uh, write the things which will take place metatauta. No, it doesn't say that. Oh, no, yes, it does say that. But to us, it means after this. In the Greek, it's metatauta. And then when you change or turn over to chapter 4... Verse 1, it says, after these things. Guess what that phrase is? Metatauta. After what things? After the church age. 
after the church age. These things come to pass, and you know from 1 Thessalonians 4 that the Bible tells us how will the rapture happen? Jesus will come for us in the clouds and will be caught up. Is the rapture in the Bible? Is the word rapture in the Bible? Well, it depends on what kind of Bible you have. If it's the Latin Bible, it certainly is, because the Latin Bible, or the Latin word, raptus, is the same word as caught up. We'll be caught up in the air. And so that's the rapture. Now, let me take a little bit of a time out. We've acknowledged, haven't we? We've said right here at the beginning, there's several different ways to interpret the book of Revelation. We believe that the best and most appropriate way is to do it in a literal sense. Now, we understand that there are some symbols in here, and many symbols, and yet as much as we can stick to the literal sense, that's what we want to do, which leads us to an interpretation that is not historical, but futuristic. And so we've come to the conclusion and the uh, persuasion uh, that we uh, are currently here in the church age now, and that when uh, this covenant... In Daniel 9.27 happens when this prince to come comes onto the scene and makes a covenant that somehow, some way, solves the issues in the Middle East and likely, I believe, establishes uh, the building of the temple. Bingo. The rapture happens and we start ourselves into the seven, uh, 70th week, the time of Jake Day. Jacob's trouble, excuse me, this, uh, this seven-week period of tribulation. So we believe in a future reading of uh, the book of uh, Revelation. We're also pre-trib, pre-millennial folks. We un- we, we've said that from the beginning. We're not hiding the ball, so to speak. We understand that there's many different interpretations and there's room for charity in here, but we're going through it in this manner, okay? And so as I come back uh, to chapter 4, we, I see after these things, metatauda. After what things? After the church age. We see uh, John being called up into heaven and his eyes almost uh, instantly go right onto the throne. <laughs> He's just overwhelmed with the throne of God overwhelmed with the throne of God. And then in chapter 5, we learned uh, that this world is under the sway of the wicked one. And Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is the one who's worthy to open the scroll and to take back the title deed to the earth. We talked about that. So that now puts us to chapter 6. Now remember, I've just given you some of the outline of this, of this book, but the rest of the outline, even I can remember it. The chapter 6 through 19 is God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Halfway through chapter 19, Jesus Christ comes back. Guess who he comes back with? You and I, us, the armies of God. Why? Because we're in heaven with him. How could he come back for us or with us if we weren't already in heaven? Get it? So he comes back, and he uh, does a number of different things, but he's coming back again in judgment to establish righteousness and to rule and reign on the earth. And then the rest of the chapters, right? The rest of the chapters of uh, Revelation are this, um, uh, you know, uh, all things being made new, a new heavens and a new earth. Of course, in chapter 20, Satan is bound and thrown into the lake of fire uh, after a thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, right? So we have the thousand-year reign in chapter 20, Satan uh, uh, and, and others thrown into the lake of fire, and then chapter 21 and chapter 22, new heavens and a new earth, and there's your book of Revelation. That's the outline. But now when we come back uh, to chapter 6, We're going to start to see for the next several weeks God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Listen to what Warren Wearsby says about God's wrath. Uh, You might want to take this down. This is pretty amazing. God's wrath is the evidence of his holy love. 
Let me say that again. God's wrath is the evidence of his holy love for all that is right and his holy hatred for all that is evil. God's wrath is the evidence of his holy love for all that is right and his holy hatred for all that is evil. What are the purposes of the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, that seven-year period after the church has been caught up in the air and is uh, with the Lord in heaven? What What are some of the purposes? Well, here's some of the purposes we're going to learn. First of all, do you ever watch the news? I try not to, be honest with you. But do you watch the news and you find yourself saying stuff like this? Man, I wish there was justice for that guy. Or, oh man, I hope he gets his. Or, how do, why do people, uh, why is the justice system failing us? They get a, just a, a slap on the wrist. And, and, you, and you get mad and you get angry. Anybody else but me had happens to? Well, see, one of the purposes of the uh, time of tribulation is that God's going to put an end to wickedness. He's going to finally deal with all the unjust things that have happened. He's coming back after he pours out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And one of the purposes of that day of the Lord, that period of time, is to put an end to wickedness. You could just look up Isaiah 13 Uh, verse 9. That's a uh, prophecy about the near fulfillment, about what's going to happen to Babylon, but in the far fulfillment, it talks about what God's going to do during the tribulation period. Well, what else is he doing? You know one of the other things that he's doing I bet you didn't even think about? You know what the Lord's going to do during that seven-year period of tribulation? There's going to be revival like there's never been before. There's going to be revival like there's never been before. And if you uh, don't believe me, then you need to come back next week because we're going to read about the revival. We're going to study about the revival. Remember, as we studied, uh, have been studying, you, you know, God isn't slack concerning His promise to come again. He's coming again. But the reason the Bible tells us in the epistles that He's holding off you know the reason why he's holding off is for one word. It says it, salvation. The reason the Lord's holding off, I get a lot of people say, well, why doesn't the Lord just do this? Just get it over with and let's go. He's holding off for salvation. He's asking men and women, boys and girls, to come to know him in a real and saving way, to surrender their lives to him, to trust him at his finished work at the cross and his resurrection for their salvation, and he holds off. But, but make no mistake, folks. He's going to pour out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, and then he's going to come again with us, and he's going to put everything right. What else is he doing? Well, he's, he's making a revival. He's putting in an end to wickedness. In other words, uh, he's, he's waking people up. What is he doing in the tribulation? He's waking people up. You see, you folks, have you ever done this? Have you shared with somebody? You might even go and say, hey, I want to share with you about Revelation 6. Uh, you know what the Bible says about uh, people will say when you talk to them about things like Revelation 6? Let me read it to you. This is from Peter. Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, uh, walking according to their own lusts. What does that mean? You know what I'm convinced it means? (laughs) Ha ha, I got too many plans and things to do. I don't have time to worry about that stuff. Sound familiar? Well, anyway, uh, walk according to their own lusts and saying, quote, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what scoffers say. Come on. Is this really going to happen? Well, see, what you do is when you share with people, you share with people. Do you know that uh, the the, uh, founder of Calvary Chapel, his name was Chuck Smith? 
Now, Chuck Smith, back in the 60s, uh, this was one of the things that he preached a lot about was end times eschatology. And uh, now it's so commonplace, you're going to say, well, no big deal. But back then it was not commonplace. And when he started Calvary Chapel, one of the first things that he did was he started recording the services. And the reason he started recording the services was not to put it on the internet in the 60s. Can you believe that? That's a joke. He didn't put it on the internet. He was doing it for the people who were left behind. That people would have teaching and could come and listen uh, to the gospel as he was looking forward to that day when Jesus would catch him up in the air. See, during this time of uh, tribulation, another thing that the Lord will be doing as he uh, is uh, helping or, you know, uh, uh, starting a revival is that the people who heard but didn't surrender their lives to Christ will come to know Christ. By the way, it's not a very good idea. The Bible tells us that those who are in Christ uh, at this time are going to get their heads chopped off. No kidding. And the Bible tells us in Thessalonians that he's going to send strong delusion at that time. So it would be very difficult to surrender your life to Christ. In other words, it puts a new spin on that, the, the, the scriptures that say today is the day for salvation. Don't wait. Oh, by the way, all of this uh, helps us, doesn't it? It helps us to be prayers, to pr uh, pray for people's hearts who are uh, either sh shrinking back or have never come to a, a place where they've surrendered their lives to Christ, right? As we examine uh, what the tribulation is all about. Here's another thing that the Lord's going to be doing during the tribulation. He's going to be dealing with the program and the country of Israel. The Lord's not done with Israel. You could uh, remember this is called the time of Jacob's trouble. And the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, that all Israel shall be saved. Now, how in the world can Paul make that claim as you look at Israel today? Who we love. We love the nation of Israel. But how, how could he make that claim? Well, because during the tribulation, God's going to give us, chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish evangelists. They're going to be sealed and protected, and they're going to uh, share with their uh, country people. And then we know this, at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus comes back, Zechariah 12 through 14 says, they're going to recognize him as Savior. See, folks, we're not just living some nicey-nice, cutesy little life here. We say hi and we help people and we do things. No, we're living a life for eternity with a grand and glorious program that's set out for us right here in the last book of the Bible. Isn't it astounding? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it a privilege? It, it uh, does something to you. It makes you want to get up in the morning and love and share and not coast. Well, what else is he doing? Well, he's paving the way for the kingdom of righteousness. He's going to come again, reign for a thousand years, and then the new heavens and the new earth where everything will be put right back. We're going to live uh, in righteousness, perfect righteousness. There'll be no need to look at the news and get mad anymore. I can't believe there's not a better amen than that one. Uh, but anyway, here's where we're going. Chapter 6, verse 1. You mean we haven't done a verse yet? <laughs> now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. You remember, He's the one that took the scroll. He was the only one worthy and with the authority to take the scrolls. He is um, the heir. He is the one who has uh, power to have the title deed to the earth. And He opened one of the seals. Now remember, we're about ready to, really, the book of Revelation is about seven seals. But the seventh seal, how do I do that? The seventh seal opens up seven more trumpet judgments. And the seventh trumpet judgment opens up seven bowl judgments. But it's like that Russian doll thing. So, the last seal opens up seven more and then seven more. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, so here we come to the first seal. 
And I heard one of the four living creatures. Now, you had to be with us, the four living creatures. What are they? They're seraphim, and they have uh, some interesting characteristics. You can go back and read or listen to the tape. I saw the lamb open one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder. This is how John heard it and uh, explained it. Come and see. And I looked. And behold, there was a white horse. There was a white horse. So now you're saying to yourself, well, okay, wait a second. White horse. I know from my Sunday school days or from maybe the pastor uh, uh, talking about it in a sermon, or maybe I just uh, ran by it uh, somewhere that Jesus Christ is coming back on a white horse. Well, he is going to come back on a white horse. But the difference is he comes back on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19. Now that's fascinating. Whoever this writer is, he wants to look like Jesus. Get it? So here you see, he's, uh, uh, I looked and behold, I saw a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow. He had a bow. By the way, there wasn't any arrows. He had a bow, and a crown was given to him. That word in the Greek right there is Stephanos. Stephanos is the victor's crown. You see it a lot um, uh, when you watch Greek things or whatever. It's the leafy thing, that crown. You know what I'm talking about? What happens to leaves? Uh, actually, I had some dead leaves at my house that I finally gave back to my daughter that had been in my house for a long time. And they just kind of, right? What happens to dead leaves? They get brittle, and they break, and they break down, right? That's the uh, victor's crown that's on this rider was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. So we need to know who this is. Now, there's very many different theories about who this one is. Some people believe this is Jesus Christ himself. Other people, such as I, believe that this is the Antichrist, Other people believe this represents Roman prosperity, and there's like several different views about who this was. But the two predominant ones are this is either the Antichrist or Jesus himself. Now, here's why I would say this is not Jesus. The coming of Jesus, as I said, doesn't happen until chapter 19. And where is Jesus right now? He's actually opening the seal. Now, of course, I understand it's a vision and it's prophetic, but when Jesus comes back, even though there's going to be some rough things happening in judgment, he's going to establish righteousness on the earth. That's his end goal, is to establish righteousness on the earth. Well, if you uh, judge who this person is with the people he keeps company with, It's not very great because who he keeps company with are those who take peace from the earth, that kill one another, death and plague and those sorts of things. And see, Jesus is coming back to establish righteousness. Also, listen to this, a bow with no arrows, fascinating, a bow with no arrows sort of signifies a victory, look at this, that's just out of reach. A bow, you you need to shoot it far to get it, but the problem is you're in position, but you can't win because you have no weapon. Jesus comes back with what? A sword. A bow with no uh, victory or a victory just out of reach. Here's the other thing that I've referred to. This crown is a Stephanos. It's that laurel crown or that leafy crown. When Jesus comes back in uh, Revelation 19, he comes back with a crown called, in the Greek, diadem. Diadems. It's it's a solid, uh, everlasting crown with the jewels and the whole shooting match. Jesus comes back with a different crown. Well, there's many other things. But one of the things you need to know is the nature of the Antichrist. Well, we read it in 1 Thessalonians. I took you there uh, to do that. He's powered by whom? Satan. The Antichrist is powered by Satan. And one of the things that Satan likes to do is to make things look really religious. 
and then he bends it just slightly so that um, before you know it, you're caught up in something that's not orthodox or it's outside of orthodox Christianity. I'll I'll give you an example. Go listen to uh, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness give you the, the talk. Sounds pretty good, pretty moral. I've been to Utah a lot. Moral families, moral people, lovely people, by the way. The problem is they've taken what God has given us and they've bent it with different books and different stories and different things until they're completely off track. Guess why? Because Satan's behind it. And what is Satan's end goal here as he knows victory is out of his grasp? He's trying to take as many people down with him. And so he gets real close to the real thing. He's a deceiver, Satan is. He's a deceiver. He's not horns and red and blood. He's an angel of light, the Bible describes him as. And he is empowering this one, the Antichrist, who's going to make a covenant, and he's going to ride in with a white horse with near victory. It's going to look like victory. He's going to make this covenant. People are going to go, whoa, he solved the problem. And all the people who are counting on politics and education and humanism and atheism and agnosticism are going to jump up out of their seats and say, see, we won. (laughs) It was solved through a covenant of peace. We knew it was possible. And the insidious part is Jewish people are still looking for the Messiah. And many are going to hail him as such. He's going to ride in on a white horse. Of course he would ride in on a white horse. When we get into the uh, nitpicking about, or, or not the nitpicking, that's not the right word, but the debate about whether or not this is Jesus or the Antichrist, the confusion just says to me right away, it must be the Antichrist because it's so close to Jesus. You see what I'm trying to say? Get it? Of course he would come on a a white horse. Of course he would look like he's going to win. Of course he's going to be a mighty one. But this one, as we know from other scripture, is going to make that covenant. He's going to have the Jews just loving him. I'm going to make the temple for you. I want you to just, yes, be in my camp. And then three and a half years into it, bang! I'm going to come in here, and now I'm going to sit on this seat, and I want you to worship me. It's all going to turn. So what looked like a good thing is going to turn into a terrible disaster. This is the Antichrist, folks. So when I saw the Lamb open to the seal, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see, and I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who had it on a bow and a crown, but not a permanent crown, a temporary crown, was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Of course, he's going to be so savvy politically, and he's going to have the military behind him, and he's going to have uh, world religions behind him because they're all going to see that he rose up and solve this problem, so he must be able to solve the rest of them. Well, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. That people should kill one another. Well, what is this referring to? Well, several times we're going to be seeing now, folks, during the tribulation period, the uh, time of Jacob's trouble, this seven-year period in which God is doing all those things that we talked about at the beginning where uh, uh, he's doing those things, we're going to see that uh, there are going to be 
lots of catastrophic things. And one of the things is, is that peace is going to be taken out. Now, whether this writer and the subsequent two writers are actually a second and a third and a fourth writer, some people say yes, some people say no. Some people believe these are just, just the different offices, or not the offices, the, the different things that the Antichrist and his administration are going to administer. You understand what I'm saying? Other people believe these are different writers uh, that uh, uh, come on the scene. You know this, right? That uh, the Antichrist is also called the beast in chapter uh, 13. And also accompanying him is the false prophet. In other words, we believe in one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But there's an unholy trinity that's set forth here in the book of Revelation, Satan. Now, Satan's not the opposite of God. He was created by God. So it's an unholy trinity, but Satan trying to be like God, understand? And the Antichrist, some people see as the Son, the unholy trinity as the Son, that function. And then it's fascinating, in chapter 13, guess what the role, the purpose of the false prophet is? Is this unbelievable? I think it's in chapter 12, but don't quote, or verse 12, but don't quote me. The role of the false prophet is to point people to the beast or the Antichrist so that they'll worship him. That's the function of the Holy Spirit, folks in the real trinity. Get it? Satan is a copycat. Satan is a copycat. Well, here we see that uh, this horse, this fiery red one goes out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it, whether that's another... Oh, why did I tell you that? Because some people believe this one right here is the false prophet. Okay, that's why I went down that rabbit trail. <laughs> Other people believe these are just different functions or things that the uh, administration of the uh, 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 Antichrist is going to do. Either way, these are things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. And the first one is the Antichrist is going to come and he's going to go conquering and to conquer. The second one is this fiery horse with a rider on it is going to go take peace from the earth where people should kill one another, should kill one another, right? And there was given to him uh, there was given to him a great sword, a great sword. Wow, there's going to be much killing on the earth, killing on the earth. And some people believe right here uh, that you see some tribulation martyrs. You know what a tribulation martyr or a tribulation saint is? A tribulation saint is somebody who comes to know Jesus or comes to surrender their life to Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. We talked about it earlier. Don't wait till then. The Bible tells us that eventually they're going to have to either uh, worship the beast or be killed for their uh, faith. And there's a strong delusion sent to them. So some people see this as people being killed for their faith. Maybe, maybe not. And there was given to him, this writer, a great sword. But what we do know is there's going to be a bunch of persecution as peace is taken away. Well, when he opens the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. Black, you could look at this, speaks of suffering. Red speaks of death and terror and fiery things and, and, and uh, horrific things. Black seem, uh, seems to be talking about suffering. I saw this black horse, and he who uh, sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Now, you might be thinking, well, scales, let's away uh, things out. And that is true, justice. Justice will be taken away, but, uh, at least humanly, but this is probably talking about economic scales. That's probably what this is talking about, because when you go on, it says, during this period, I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarters of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Really peculiar phrase. Really peculiar phrase. But what certainly the first part of this is talking about, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A denarius would buy you, uh, it was one day's wage. 
And what this is saying is you're going to work one day for a loaf of bread or a piece of bread or loaf or a piece of bread that's only going to feed you. And if you tried barley, you might be able to get a little bit more, but not very much more. Barley was uh, less uh, uh, important than wheat. Wheat was the, the, the major nutrient. In other words, there's going to be great uh, uh, inflation in the earth. Things are going to cro- uh, cost way more than they can. And you can see how that could easily happen, can't you? Remember a few years ago, it might be more than a few years ago, remember when the, I, I, it just was puzzling to me. I know nothing about economics, but I know when what, what Greece, uh, Greece's stock market tanked. Do you remember this a few years ago? And our stock market, all, everything started going up, and when we were like, what, what is going on here? How could we be so precariously tied uh, to something else? Or, uh, uh, you know, uh, what if our Social Security system tanked or our pensions tanked or anything like that? Or, or what have happened if our crops uh, went away? Or what happened if somebody took our oil reserves, right? And those things, you, 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 those things could happen. Well, anyway, uh, during this time, there's going to be a time of great famine or a time of uh, great inflation. But then there's this real curious f- phrase, don't harm the oil and the wine. There's a couple of different views on what this means. Uh, does this mean that the disparity between the rich and the poor, already great disparity, is it going to get even greater because the rich and the poor, or the rich, aren't going to uh, do without their oil, their olive oil, and their wine? Maybe, maybe. Could it be that oil uh, is a uh, symbol of the Holy Spirit and uh, wine is that, uh, uh, you know, the symbol of uh, what makes life good in the Spirit? Remember, wine was made at the wedding feast, right? To give, uh, uh, it was a picture of, of that Holy Spirit making, making life beautiful, right? Is that what that is a picture of? Because uh, I, I read something to you. Remember what I read to you in 1 Thessalonians? That the Holy Spirit is a restraining power right now. In a sense, see, uh, the Holy Spirit is a restraining power. How or why? Because he lives in the hearts of his people. You understand that? And that uh, the Bible tells us uh, in 1 Thessalonians, at some point, we are going to be out of here. Get it? We'll be in heaven during the tribulation period. So uh, Donald Barnhouse says this about that, uh, that that uh, principle in the Bible. It's this, the Holy Spirit indeed will have left the earth when the Lord withdraws the church at the rapture, but he will uh, have left only as the one who indwells the heart of man. He will yet be here as he was in the Old Testament times, pouring himself forth upon those who believe and making glad their hearts in the midst of spiritual lack. Did you get that? Did you understand that? See, you understand the Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent, just as God is. So even though we're pulled out of here, it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit couldn't be here because he's omnipresent. It'd just be a different function of the Holy Spirit, more like the Old Testament was. You understand? Well, the reason I'm telling you that is some people believe that little phrase right there means that there's still going to be opportunities for salvation. even during the tribulation period. Well, go on. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and beheld a pale horse. Now, that's a fascinating word. When you see pale, you see one thing, but that word is chloros in the Greek, which intimates, or what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, uh, it uh, might be saying uh, this, that that color is a sickly, light, pale green. Because in other places in the Bible, chloros or chlorine, where we get our word chlorine, uh, represents grass. So this real sickly looking pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death and Hades. Death and Hades followed with him, and uh, uh, power was given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So let's review what's happening here. 
Let's understand what this, these chapters are telling you as I come to this fourth seal. We've read in Daniel that there's going to be a covenant made by a prince to come. It's going to pertain to the nation of Israel. It probably is going to solve some sort of issue uh, that pertains to the Temple Mount and the building of the temple. It currently isn't there. People are going to fawn, uh, you know, feign, and just uh, give praise to the one who solves this, this problem, the one who's to come, the the. Uh, Antichrist, who's called the little horn, the king of fierce countenance, the prince that shall come, the willful king, the one who comes in his own name. This one, the Antichrist, is going to solve this problem. And during this beginning, uh, and that's going to uh, set in motion that seven-year period called the time of Jacob's trouble, the church will be out of here, chapter 4 and chapter 5, and then we're going to see that a, uh, what's going to be unleashed on the earth is peace coming out of the earth where you're scared for your life. That's what that's saying. You should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. That's the, the second seal. And then there's going to be scarcity on the earth. There's going to be lack and famine and inflation. And hopefully, and maybe, not hopefully, and in, in the middle of all this, there's going to be opportunity for salvation. But how about now? What else is going to be happening? Well, this pale horse, this sickly horse, which sat on it, death and Hades, is going to have power in which, listen to this, one-fourth of the earth will be killed. One-fourth of the people of the earth are going to be killed. I just want you to see something here. This is no game we play. This is no paradigm we live. This isn't some Susie Orman uh, do some kind of cool thing. This isn't seven keys to happiness, folks. This isn't your best life now. This is real. And it's coming. And we need to warn people. There's power given to them over the fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, because with battles come hunger and death uh, and by the beasts of the earth. This is going to be a terrible, terrible, uh, terrible time. But when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Tribulation saints, people who've come to Christ during the tribulation are going to be poured out. Their lives are going to be poured out. That's what that's telling you because the altar is the brazen laver. That's where they poured the blood in Leviticus under there. And what he's saying here is they're going to pour out their lives for the testimony which they've been given but before you get too sad about this, I want to remind you about an astounding verse, at least about that, that scripture right there, what I just read you. Before you get too sad about that, I want you to read you a, an astounding verse in the Psalms. Psalm 116.15 says this. Can you hardly believe it? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Whoa. Whoa. I don't hear that on Prosperity TV. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why would it be precious to the Lord that their saints would die physically? Why? Because they're with him. You're with him. You're together where you've always been destined for. That's how, where God holds you close to his heart. He considers it precious when his saints die because now they get to be with him. You see, God has a different idea about what death is than we do. It's not your going away. It's your homecoming. You're going to the Lord. And here it says uh, that there are going to be these martyrs who martyred for their testimony. And they cried with a loud voice saying, now listen, this is interesting. We have some folks uh, that have approached me about soul sleep. Well, here's one of the verses that shoot down soul sleep. These people 
are dead, but they cry with a loud voice. They're conscious. They know what's happening, saying, well, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Get it? These are the tribulation saints, and they're saying something that's appropriate. I don't think they're uh, asking for revenge. You know what I think they're doing? I think they're praying an appropriate prayer. They're praying that God's holiness would be vindicated. You get that? You want me to say that again? They're praying that God's holiness would be vindicated and that God's justice would be established. The justice of God, the holiness of God. You see, I think if we read this chapter, we start to understand this chapter, and we claim the name of Christ as followers, and we're scared, something's wrong. Here's why. I think we've missed uh, uh, by a mile who God really is if this makes us scared as Christians. Here's why. And if you are scared, don't feel bad about saying it. Come up and talk. But here's why. Because not only do you serve a God of love, oh, praise the Lord, don't we love the God of love? God is love. God is light. We serve the God of mercy. We love to talk about mercy. It's fantastic. Praise the Lord. Mercies are new every morning. Who here needs that? I need that. Uh, By the way, we serve a God of grace. It's because of what he's done that we have salvation. Oh, we love to talk about that. But God is just as much a God of justice than he is of grace. Understand? Just because it's, you're finding it back here at the end of the Bible doesn't mean it's less. He's always, he is justice. He never acts out of conformity to his quality or his characteristic or his attribute of justice. Get it? He never acts out of that. He's always just, and he's always holy, which means he's utterly without sin. And he rejects sin, and not only does he reject sin, he must pour out his wrath against sin. And so, as you understand the attribute of God, see, here's what I think happens you become less and less scared here as a Christian. You're just like, yes, not that people are dying. That's not what we're saying. But you're saying, this is the God I serve, the God of justice and holiness and mercy and grace. Well, they cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then a white robe was given to each of them. See? We all get the same thing, folks. White robes of righteousness, Isaiah 61. They get it too. They get this white robe of righteousness. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed. In other words, this is happening in the tribulation, but more are coming who are going to die because of their faith. Tribulation saints. Everybody tracking? Okay. Uh, as they were, was completed. And here we go. We finish up with this. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. What marks God's judgment? I want you to see earthquakes. Hmm. And the sun became black, darkness. (laughs) Does it remind you of any other time in the Bible when judgment was meted out? Yes, at the cross. At the cross, what was there? There was an earthquake, and there, the earth went dark. That's because it's God's judgment. And here, when he opened the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. There's going to be all these cosmic disturbances, and the stars of hell, or as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of place. Boy, I tell you, I don't know if I'd believe that one. I would, but unless I lived in Hawaii. Those things are moving constantly. They haven't stopped moving in the last, what, 200 years, the big island or something like that. It just moves. And that's is going to happen. And the island was moved out of the place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath 
of the Lamb. Is that one of the saddest verses in the entire stinking Bible or great Bible? Is that one of the saddest verses? Listen, here we are, we're trying to tell. I want you to go out and tell people. Go out and tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to go tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Bible from the very beginning has been rebellion and stiff-necked, stubborn men and women who say they can live without God. And now we're saying to people, even as they scoff, there's coming a tribulation period. It'll be like nothing you've ever known. It'll be this and that and this. And it's going to be happening to them. Read it. Rich people, kings of the earth, great men, and they're still going to deny that there's a God. Or at least they're still going to not deny that He is the Savior. Or they're still going to deny uh, that uh, uh, they need Christ. They're going to recognize it as wrath and just go hide when all they have to do, all they have to do, all they have to do is plead mercy and repent. Because the Bible says in the next verse, for the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Here's the person who's able to stand. Here you go. Here's the good news. Anybody who's come face to face with the grace of God, you've understood that he's done it all. He's paid the price. He's done it all. Anybody who's uh, uh, come face to face with the grace of God and said, Lord, I can't do it on my own. I repent. I need you. He comes into our lives. We're covered by the precious blood of the lamb, and we're able to stand. Oh, by the way, we're not only able to stand. Listen to this. Several places in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 5, I read it to you, or no, I didn't. First, I read 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11. Listen to this. Doesn't this make your heart cheer? For God did not appoint us to wrath. How much more plain could it be, folks? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. The, folks, I want you to write this verse down. For those who are a little bit nervous about studying the book of Revelation, write the 11th verse down. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. In other words, talk about these things and comfort one another. Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And the Bible told us in 1 John, we can have confidence and assurance. Why? Not because we're any great shakes, because we're found in Christ. How about this? Romans 5, 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood. That means counted not guilty. We shall be saved, not might shall be saved from wrath through him. Hear about Revelation 3.10. I'll give you another one. Because you have kept my camp command to persevere, uh, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Folks, listen. There's good news here. You're going to be kept from this wrath. See, that's good news. You're going to be kept from this wrath. But the Bible says, well, I thought that was good news, but anyway, uh, uh, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Somebody may be watching this, somebody might be in here, and they don't know. They're worried. Am I going to be caught up in this? What's going to happen? Well, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, and we all should Make sure that we're counting on the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross and his resurrection for our salvation. If that's true, you won't be here. You'll be in chapter 4 and chapter 5, worshiping God and the Lamb. You get it? Wow, that's beautiful. Well, okay, you've been a quiet bunch, I must say. For Revelation chapter 6, you've been a quiet bunch. If you don't liven up, I'm going to make sure Angie's here every Wednesday night, and I'm going to pay her extra to say amen some more. But listen, 
God bless you guys. I'll pray and uh, fellowship after. Uh, and uh, this is a serious matter. This drives me to the prayer meeting. I got to tell you, I'm the pastor, and I don't feel like going to the prayer meeting sometimes. But people's lives are at stake, their spiritual lives. Death in Hades, he says. Well, they are going to be thrown into the lake of fire, right? See, for Christians, we only die once. We die physically, maybe, unless the Lord doesn't come back first. We'll die physically, but guess what? According to the Bible, there's a second death, and we don't want to be there. And the second death is being thrown into the lake of fire, the permanent resting place or the place of hell, Gehenna. We don't want to go there. We won't be there if we're in Christ. We only die once. Why is that? Because we're, look at this, born again. So I'm going to pray. And uh, if there's anything we could pray for or about afterwards, please come up and uh, we'll pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this evening and for uh, your word that gives us just such encouragement, Lord, even in the midst of difficult circumstances and things that you spell out. But Lord, give us a heart for people like you have a heart for people. Salvation. Lord, as you uh, hold off here in your coming, may we not be scoffers. <laughs> may we live on the edge of our seat in the right way, recognizing that you could come back at any time. Lord, but before you do, help us by your grace to be people of prayer, to be people who love one another and to love our enemies and to share your gospel everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys and uh, have a great week, okay? God bless you.